everyone. Welcome back to the Spirit of Prophecy podcast. We are on day two of the Olivet Discourse, and I know we left you hanging yesterday, and you have been just holding yourself back from calling me a heretic and a reprobate and all those typical names that get called when someone disagrees with you about end times, but I, I appreciate those of you who held off, and you have come back today to give me another chance, and uh, and I know, I know you're, you're that close, you're that close to marking me, you're that close to nailing me, but I'm telling you, hear out what I am telling you. And I think after today, you will probably be convinced I'm not a heretic and a reprobate, but, uh, I might need you for tomorrow, um, to prove to you that I'm right about these things. And so, um, stick with me, ladies and gentlemen, I believe I believe you will be helped by this. So I'm not going to repeat everything we talked about yesterday, but I do want to just uh, point out a couple things that are important to remember, and that is it is my position that the Olivet Discourse, that the words of Jesus in this prophecy was a prophecy for that generation. He is talking to Israel, and uh, we did not take any time to go into the countless parables that are told shortly before the Olivet Discourse. From on, After Palm Sunday, we have parable after parable after parable directed at Israel about the coming of Christ, warning them to be ready for his coming, which actually happened to be that day. They were not ready when the Messiah came and he came suddenly into his temple Things did not turn out the way that we see in Zechariah and Ezekiel and in Malachi. Uh, everyone ignores those things too. Everybody ignores all the prophecy that was fulfilled at the triumphal entry. They ignore all that. And they and so they miss the fact, they miss what took place at his triumphal entry and what he was trying to do and what Israel failed and lost. And so Jesus goes and he gives them all of these parables about losing the kingdom and uh, giving it to another nation. So again, all of that is so important to understanding exactly what's going on at the Olivet, Olivet Discourse. And so we have all these things directed at Israel. Judgment has just been pronounced on Israel. He's just told the scribes and Pharisees, he's been calling them hypocrites and vipers and all these things and tells them your house is left unto you desolate. Just one thing after another. And the disciples are like, when's all this going to happen? What are specifically the temple being torn down? He said, there's not gonna be one stone left upon another. They're like, when's this gonna happen? When's it gonna be the end of the world? When is it, this, what's gonna be the sign of your coming? And obviously there were many things they did not understand, but the disciples clearly had it in their head that something was coming on that generation because Jesus has already several times told them about things coming on that generation. That's definitely what's in their head. You and I are reading this. We're always thinking about the future and what's for us, but we we can't ignore what was in the past and what was for that day and for their very near future and that generation. We can't ignore that. So he goes on and he is telling them about things that happened in that first century, in that generation. But now I also told you yesterday that while I believe the abomination of desolation happened in the first century, I do not believe the sun was darkened and moon was turned to blood. It is my position that is a literal event, and I will tell you why in a little bit. 
and I hope you historicist and preterist will hear me out on this. I do not believe that the coming of Christ, as described in Matthew 24, took place. I'll give it to you that there was a coming in judgment, and it did not go well for Jerusalem. They were destroyed. I do not believe that that was the fulfilling of the coming of Christ, of him coming in the clouds with power and great glory, gathering together his elect. I don't believe that happened. I believe those things are going to happen in the future. So I have to explain why that is. And that's exactly what I'm going to do. I don't believe we need to force this interpretation all in the past. I don't believe we need to do that, nor do I need, we need, believe we need to make it all about the future either. I believe both are errors. And so as we go through the rest of this uh, Olivet Discourse, I believe we will see exactly why that is. So uh, here we go. Let's start at the budding of the fig tree that don't you dare try to tell me that was 1948. Jesus has not discussed Israel returning as a nation at all in this. He has been prophesying their destruction. So, uh, no, and he's warning them. He's literally warning them of coming destruction. That's what he's warning them of. So when we get to the budding of the fig tree, what in the world, how would you think that this is talking about them coming back as a nation? They're not even gone yet at this point. This is what he's prophesying about, their destruction. So let's go ahead and read this passage. And I shouldn't even have to address that, but a lot of pre-tribbers teach that the budding of the fig tree is 1948. And I think that is ridiculous. <clears throat> and you should be embarrassed by that. But right after the passage about the glorious appearing, look what we have here. We have the budding of the fig tree. Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, ye know that summer is nigh. So likewise, ye, when ye shall see all these things, know that it is near even at the doors. Mark 13, now learn a parable of the fig tree. When her branch is yet tender and putteth forth her leaves, ye know that summer is near. So ye in like manner, when ye shall see all these things come to pass, know that it is nigh even at the doors. Luke 21, 29, and he spake unto them a parable. Behold the fig tree and all the trees, and they uh, when they now shoot forth, Ye see and know of your own selves that summer is now nigh at hand. So likewise, when ye see these things come to pass, know ye that the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. And notice, notice Luke said tree, uh, fig tree and all trees. What's that all about? Okay, Because here's what the prophecy is. It's not about a nation. It's that when you see a fig tree bud or any tree bud, you know what you know? Summer's nigh. That's it. So Jesus is saying, when you see all these things, all the things that he discussed, you will know that his coming or the end is near. Now, I've heard people say that it says, notice how it says all these things. Therefore, if all of the things didn't happen in the past, then none of the things happen because a generation has to see all of these things take place. And so since Jesus Christ, we all agree he didn't return, therefore, None of Matthew 24 has been fulfilled. Okay, all right. Uh, what about the destruction of the temple? And they will not talk about that because nobody claims the destruction of the temple hasn't happened. That happened, that, without a doubt. So, uh, no, it was about that generation. Okay, It was about that generation, but yet some things didn't happen. We have to explain 
Why? Because again, this isn't Jesus just telling us this is what will happen. Not all prophecies are that way. Some are giving instruction and telling you the outcome if you obey, and, you know, in a, which is typically how it goes with good things, or the outcome if you disobey, and that's how it typically goes uh, when it talks about bad things. So you ha- we have to look for stuff like that, and we're going to look for that. So let's keep reading. Now we see the promise of the fulfillment in that generation. We talked about this yesterday where it says, Verily I say to you, this generation should not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Now, if you want to spiritualize that, uh, you can go right ahead. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to take it literally. I think when Jesus said that, he was talking to that generation. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. So now we have a call to watch. Now, this is what we have to pay attention to. This is what I want you to zero in on. This is where it all comes together and is going to start making sense. This is what everyone ignores with prophecy, and that is what are we supposed to do? What were the people that are being prophesied to? What were they supposed to do? And then we always have to ask the question too, did they do it? Every uh, Most prophecies, I guess I won't say all because I haven't fact-checked this, but most prophecies typically have some kind of instructions in there. And again, it'll turn out, and so those prophecies show good things if you obey, bad things if you disobey. And it's okay for us to go and look in those prophecies and and ask ourselves, what did they do? Because it's not just telling us exactly what's going to happen. So here's where we get to instruction. Here's the instructions. This is the part that is ignored. Let us go to the instructions. And this is where it all becomes clear. We will start with Matthew and we will go to Luke. It actually gets clearer. I believe it's clearest in Luke, but we're going to start in Matthew. So look what it says. But of that day and that hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my father only. So there's no timeline given, Clarence Larkin. We don't know that we've got three and a half years after the abomination of desolation. They would know that if that's what that was about. But no, there's no timeline on this. There's no timeline in the Olivet Discourse. Stop trying to put this in seven years. You can't do that. That is not biblical. So it says, but as the days of Noah were, so also shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So also shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Then shall two be in the field, one shall be taken, the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, one shall be taken, the other left. Watch ye therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. But know this, that if the goodman of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not the Son of Man cometh. Who then is that faithful and wise servant whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household, to give them meat in due season. Watch this. Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Verily I say unto you, that he shall make him ruler over all his goods. But, and if that evil servant shall say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to smite his fellow servants, and to eat and drink with the drunken, the Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looketh not for him, and in an hour that he is not aware of, and shall cut him asunder and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, 
I want you to stop and think about that passage. So first off, where is the instruction in this prophecy? And the, pro- and the instruction that Jesus gave was for them to watch and be ready. You don't know when this is going to happen. You don't know the day or the hour. That's, that's the instruction. You be ready. You be faithful. You be doing the things that I gave you to do. Now, Matthew 25. Oh, my stars. Go watch the discussion I did. It's on this channel about the Matthew 25 parables. Another ignored subject, a subject that is so butchered by the pre-trippers it's not even funny, where Jesus is basically um, giving parables, showing why Israel was going to lose the kingdom. So this servant that we're seeing here too, because he's telling them to watch, he's telling them to be ready. He talks about the wise servant, okay? Who is the wise servant? Who's the foolish servant? Is this about individuals or is this continuing the subject that we've seen in the previous chapters and the previous parables in all the accounts? In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we've had parable after parable directed at Israel. That's who the parables have been directed at. They have been told that they are going to, if if they're not ready, if they do not watch, they are going to lose the kingdom. It's going to be given to another nation. And so what we're seeing here in this passage is he's warning that wicked servant that if if he doesn't watch, he is going to come on them, on Israel, in a time when he isn't expecting, in a time when he's not looking, and he's going to cut him asunder and appoint him as portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And in the Olivet Discourse parables in Matthew chapter 25, we see those references to the weeping and gnashing of teeth when Israel loses the kingdom. That's what those parables are about. I wish I had time to go through those. It is so important that you understand those parables and understand that Israel was warned in the Olivet Discourse that if they would not watch, if they would not be ready, that he was going to come on them in a time they weren't expecting And they were going to get their portion with the hypocrites. It was going to be bad for them. And folks, that is exactly what happened. Israel was not ready for the coming of Christ. Israel was not, they they began to smite the fellow servants. They began, those who actually were obedient to the law and followed after the Messiah, Jesus Christ, they persecuted them. And Jesus warned them, that if you do that, you're not going to get this deliverance. You're not going to be, you know, I, I'm not going to gather you up. No, I'm going to come at a time when you're not expecting and you're going to get your, you're going to go to hell basically is what he's telling them where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. I believe that's what that's a reference to. So we see at the end of this prophecy that a warning is given. Instructions are given. These are, this is, this is instruction to Israel, these the parables before, the parables after about Israel, and he's giving them instruction to be ready, and if not, I'm going to come at a time when you're not expecting, and you're going to be judged, and that's what happened. That's why, even though this parable was for that generation, the glorious appearing did not happen during that time. Why? Because Israel wasn't ready. Let's go look at the uh, other accounts. And let's look at some things there. Hear me out on this, folks. I'm not done. But of that day and that hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. Take ye heed, watch and pray, for ye know not when the time is. For the Son of Man is as a 
man taking a far journey who left his house, gave authority to his servants and to every man his work, and commanded the porter to watch. Watch ye therefore, for ye know not when the master of the house cometh, at even or at midnight or at the cock crowing or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And what I say unto you, I say unto you all, watch. So notice how he, the warning that's there. You don't want this to happen. Him cutting, coming suddenly and find you sleeping. What's going to happen if when Christ comes, he finds them sleeping? Well, it's not going to be the good thing. It's going to be something else. It's going to be something bad. And that's what actually happened in the first century. There was some, it was bad. They didn't do what they were supposed to do. The book of Acts shows a remnant being saved. We do see thousands saved. But as a whole, the nation, not only did they reject Christ, but they persecuted the church. They persecuted the fellow servants. They began to smite them. That is what they ended up doing. And so Jesus ended up coming on them suddenly in a time that they weren't expecting, and they received judgment. Just like he said, there's a negative, there's there's a possible negative outcome in this prophecy that's to Israel and that generation, and that is what took place. That is what happened. Let's look at what it says in Luke 21. Take And take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and, and drunkenness and cares of this life, and so that day come upon you unawares. For as a snare shall it come on all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch ye therefore and pray always that ye may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. So notice notice that, how he, he said to watch so you would be accounted worthy to escape all those things and to be able to stand before the Son of Man. Now, what ended up happening? They did not do what they were supposed to do. They were not worthy. They were not able to stand, and they were destroyed. So Jesus is talking about judgment that's going to come on the world. And understand that the world judgment is something that's been being prophesied since the time of Enoch. And remember also what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 23, where he said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, now that kills the prophets, how often would I have gathered you together? Remember that? But what did he say? But ye would not. According to Jesus, there was many times where he was ready to gather them together, but they would not. They they refused him. They disobeyed him. They never did any of the things they were supposed to do. And so we see that when Jesus comes and he gives the gospel, and the gospel of the kingdom is preached in all the world, understand in 70 AD, what do we see Israel doing as a nation? They're still clinging to the temple. They're still clinging to the things of the temple, even though the writers of Hebrews told them to follow Christ without the gate, bearing his reproach. They rejected the Old Testament. They were warned not to have that evil heart of unbelief like their fathers who perished in the wilderness. And unfortunately, because they rejected Christ, they weren't ready at his coming, and judgment came on them there was not a people, what God was looking for, and in my sermon, the time of that visitation, we go through the Old Testament scriptures that show us what Christ would be looking for at his coming, and none of those things were there. And so what did he say he was going to do in those parables? 
that he was going to lend his vineyard out to other husbandmen. So in that first century, when Christ came, Israel as a nation, they did not produce what they were supposed to produce. They were still hanging on to the things of the temple, and they weren't even saved themselves. They didn't have people from all, all over the world like they were supposed to. And so as a result of it, they were rejected. And I, and so uh, they were judged. They were finished. The things of the old covenant could not save people, yet they clung to those things. And God allowed all of it to be destroyed, showing he was finished with that. the things of the temple. That old covenant had vanished and passed away and the new and better covenant had come in. And so now we are in a period of time, I guess you could say, where um, the other husbandmen are at work right now. That's what's going on. So understand that prophecy, the Olivet Discourse prophecy, is one that was directed at that generation, and they didn't get the good outcome. They got the negative outcome. Kind of like, and I'm going to give one example right now of a prophecy like that from the past. How about uh, the prophecy by Jonah against Nineveh? What did he say? Yea, 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And that sounds like sounds that sounds like a prophecy saying in 40 days Nineveh is going to be overthrown. That's all it says. There's no, but you know what? God it, uh, gave them repentance. When they repented, God spared them that judgment. And you know what? Judgment did not come in that day. You know why? Because they repented. But did you know that judgment on Nineveh did come years later on a completely new generation? Over 120 years later, that judgment on Nineveh that Jonah had pronounced did come on another generation that was wicked. The generation that did good they were spared. And then it came eventually later on a bad generation. We are seeing like a uh, an opposite of that with the prophecies towards Israel. In the prophecy towards Israel in the Olivet Discourse, Israel was not ready. Israel did everything wrong. Israel did not repent. And in the Olivet Discourse pro prophecy, there are positive things in there. There's the promise, there, there's that prophecy of deliverance and him gathering together the elect. But did you know, because they weren't ready, that didn't happen. And so just like the prophecy of Nineveh was fulfilled later in another generation, the prophecy of the return of Christ and the gathering of his people, that will happen on another generation in the future, one who obeys. Unlike the previous generation <clears throat> that disobeyed. So you can see how it's the exact same thing as in Nineveh. It's just Nineveh, the, the early generation did the right thing. And it was a later generation that did the wrong thing and got judgment. In this prophecy, the earlier generation did the wrong thing. And it's the later generation that's going to do the right thing. So you can kind of see the difference. And isn't it interesting, too, that Jesus told them, and we talked about this yesterday, that the men of Nineveh will rise up against this generation. Why? Because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. So we should expect an opposite result for Israel who didn't repent when they heard the preaching of Jesus Christ. So 
Uh, it's, you know, and, and I'll give more examples of things like that, but I believe that's what we're seeing. That prophecy does, did not all have to take place in that generation, even though it was a prophecy for that generation, because the good part, you know, was assuming they obey, which they did not. So here's the, here's the thing. You say, well, you, th- you think we're better than the Jews and we're going to do right next time? Uh, actually, I do, because the people that judgment came on, what were they looking to for righteousness? The works of the law, the things of the temple, even though God rent the veil of the temple, even though Jesus replaced the sacrifice with the sacrifice of his body, he replaced the priesthood with the priesthood after the order of Melchizedek. They rejected those things and they were clinging to the things of the law. And so you better believe they were not ready. So, well, how do you know the next generation is going to be ready? Well, because this generation has been cleansed by the blood of Christ. A sac- we do have an acceptable sacrifice that has been offered on our behalf. We do have a good high priest, Jesus Christ. Everything that we need to be acceptable has already come, and we have put our faith and trust in that. When Christ returns, we won't be a people who are there uh, bringing their good works. No, we are a people who have put our faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And so we will be acceptable because of him. So it will be a future generation that experiences the good part of this prophecy because that generation did not do what they were supposed to do and they were warned. They were warned about a potential negative outcome at a coming in a time when they weren't ready, when they weren't expecting. And sure enough, that happened. So... Here's the big question. So since there are some things that have not taken place, is it appropriate for us today, even though that prophecy was for that generation, is it appropriate for us to talk about future events from the Olivet Discourse? And I will tell you, yes, it is, as long as you do a couple things. And this is where I, I need the preterists and historicists to pay attention what I'm telling you too, because I hear a lot of what you're saying, and I agree with many things that you're saying, but here's here's what I need you to do for me if you want to prove your point, and, and it hasn't been done yet. Okay, I don't hate you, but you've not proved this to me yet. But, um, I forgot where I was going with that. So, yeah, so when it comes to the things, uh, the I, I think it's okay to talk about the future as long as you understand the interpretation of the Olivet Discourse is a prophecy for that generation. And if you understand that all you are doing is making application, that's important. There's a difference between interpretation and application. There's a lot of passages that are not about us, but we can make application. It's appropriate to do that. But if we don't have the correct interpretation we are probably going to make a wrong application. And so I believe it is appropriate to make an application about future things for us. And here's why. Here's why I, here's why I believe this, and that is because of Revelation. It is my position that the events of Revelation 6 are still in the future. Okay? Now, those of you who disagree with me on that, I need more proof that Revelation was written before 70 AD. 
I, I, I've heard some of the arguments, but I've not really seen proof of those things. Now, I don't think I have pot proof much more than you do that those things or that it was written after 70 AD. But um, before you're going to be able to move me away from that, you're going to have to give me more evidence that Revelation was written before 70 AD. It's my position. It was after yours is before. Okay. If you prove that you're right on that, then that would change things for me. But you haven't yet. So I'm telling you my position right now, as respectfully as I can, my position that it was written after, and therefore the prophecies of Revelation are not about the destruction of Jerusalem. I don't hate you if you disagree with that, but it's what I believe. So when I read Revelation 6 and I see the exact same pattern of events in the same order as the events of Matthew chapter 24, the difference being Revelation is about global things, while Matthew 24 is about Jerusalem. This is what I believe. I believe just like God judged Jerusalem for what they had done with the gospel, I believe God is going to one day judge the world for what they have done with the gospel. And uh, and But I believe this time there's going to be a better impact because, you know, in Jerusalem, you had a bunch of people clinging to the things of the temple for salvation. That wasn't acceptable. Where at Christ's second coming, there's going to be a bunch of people clinging to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, and they will be acceptable. But let me point out some things to you in Revelation chapter 6, because first off, it says when we get the first seal, we're not going to take time to read it all. You all know this passage, the first seal, you have the white horse. Now, the preterists and historicists, they'll say that that's Jesus on there. I, I just, I don't believe that. I believe it's my position that it is a the Antichrist or a false Christ. And in Matthew 24, the first thing we see Jesus warn is there's going to be false Christ. That's the first seal. He says there's going to be wars, famines, pestilence. What do we see with the four horse of the apocalypse? You got the Antichrist, you got war, Black horse, famines, a pale horse, a pestilence, or um, red horse. I'm getting the colors mixed up. But you all know what I'm talking about. Same order. It's the same order. When we get to the fifth seal, you know what we have? Martyrs. That's what we see in Revelation 6. We have the martyrs. In Matthew 24, after he talks about the wars, famines, pestilence, what do we see? I'm talking about martyrs. They're going to deliver you up to councils in the synagogues. You're going to be hated. You're going to be killed. Same order. And then what do we have? Sun darkened and moon turned to blood. That's the sixth seal. Same order, same pattern. And then right after that, we see in Revelation 7, a multitude appear before the throne in heaven from every nation and kindred and tongue. Kind of looks like the rapture to me. Same order of events we see in Matthew 24. What's going on? I tell you, I'll tell you what's going on. In Matthew 24, it's a prophecy about things about Jerusalem. Judgment that came, but they were not accept the people there weren't acceptable. At this in Revelation, I believe we are seeing future things. I I believe God is using the same pattern of judgment on the world and that He used on Jerusalem, and this time there will be people. There's going to be a great multitude, but you know what? You know what? The, that multitude is going to be praising Jesus Christ. He's going to get all glory. For the salvation that takes place, not just because he saved us, but because of the fact that he washed us, he cleaned, he cleaned us. Our righteousness that we have, it came from Jesus Christ. So that's why we see that same pattern 
take place. What we're seeing in Revelation 6 is similar to Matthew 24, but it's not identical. And no timeline's given on that either, ladies and gentlemen. No timeline in Revelation chapter 6. Some people think that's been happening throughout history. Some some people are trying to force it into a three and a half year period. But wait a minute. You're doing that because you're still stuck in Daniel's 70th week. You got some dispensationalism left over. Okay. I mean, it could happen that way. There are three and a half year periods mentioned in Revelation. I'm not saying it can't happen that way. I'm just saying, are you that sure about it? But I'm telling you, I I believe the events of the seals are still to come. And so that is why we see that similarity. So people are not wrong if they take Matthew 24, the Olivet Discourse, and they talk about the future. But let's be honest and admit we're just making application. We're making application. If you want to get interpretation, don't go to Matthew 24 because that's about the first century. Go to Revelation. And then if you want, after you go to Revelation chapter 6, you can go back to Matthew 24 and you can say, look, see how God did the same thing to Jerusalem? But notice we don't see a gathering take place in in 70 AD. You know why? Because look at the warning in Matthew chapter 24. They weren't ready. They weren't prepared. They had no faith. You know, today we need to get the whole world ready. A lot of times we're always telling Christians to be ready. Like you got to do something to be ready. Like you're going to get left behind or something. No, 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 no. You know, the way you get, you know, obviously we want to be in a good spiritual condition when Christ returns, but ultimately we want to be saved and we get saved by forsaking our, you know, the things of the law. You know, we want to repent of our dead works and trust in the work of Jesus Christ by trusting him. That's how we prepare for those things. And so I believe that that is why, um, you know, not everything was fulfilled in the first century because they did not do the things they were supposed to do. So the good part of that prophecy didn't happen. All the negative stuff happened, you know, and if, and if they would have trusted Christ, he would have delivered them, but he didn't. They were destroyed. He came on them when they weren't expecting. So again, I do. I believe the, I believe the preterists are right when they talk about uh, a coming of Christ in judgment in the first century, but I believe they were wrong. They are wrong when they deny a future coming, uh, you know, of for deliverance. I believe there, I believe that is a great error to do that. And so I'm just showing you kind of what my position and why. And I, and I think there's a consistency there. It shows the truths that both sides are pretend are, are presenting but it's also showing the errors in both sides and how they're reconciled. Prophecies often come with contingencies, instructions, and one must always check to see what people did. I shouldn't read Jonah and say, yep, 40 days Nineveh should be overthrown, and then close the book and then go around preaching. They got destroyed 40 days later. Wait a minute, let's go see what happened. Hey, they didn't get destroyed 40 days later. Why? You know why? Because they repented. And so God <clears throat> spared judgment on that generation. Yeah, but it's got to be destroyed. It was prophesied. I, I know. And that happened, but on a future generation that disobeyed. These good things that were prophesied, they couldn't come in that time because Israel didn't do what they're supposed to do. So guess what? It's going to happen on a future generation. We don't know the day or the hour, but one 
that is ready because they've been washed in the blood of the Lamb, saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so I'm looking, I am looking for that. So if you still want to call me a preterist, I've got a feeling you still don't even know what one really is. I've had I've had some preachers uh, call me a preterist, preach sermons, kind of throwing that accusation out there, and it's very clear, it's laughable. It's like you guys have never even looked into this subject. They don't know what it is, and they specifically don't know what's wrong with it. That's important too when it comes to any false doctrine or fault or bad label that we have out there. We should ask ourselves, why is that doctrine wrong? Why is that label bad? And sometimes people with bad labels say good things. It's like when you call someone a Catholic for believing in the virgin birth or the, or the you know the Trinity or something like that. It's like, well, wait, Catholics aren't bad because they believe in the Trinity or the virgin birth. You know, they're bad because they're work salvation, Mary worship. Like, you know, there's a bunch of other things. And, but a lot of futurists, in their ignorance, you know, they'll take things that preterists say that are true, and then they'll try to cream you with that label as if they just prove something, and it, and they, it just reveals their ignorance. So, anyway, that is my interpretation of the Olivet Discourse, and I hope it made sense to you. I hope it was clear. If you have any questions, comments, whatever, leave them on there. Email them to me at the Spirit of Prophecy sixteen eleven at gmail.com. and then and uh, on Friday, I will uh, answer those things live. But tomorrow. What I want to do, I want to show you, I'm going to show a whole bunch of biblical precedent for how I am interpreting the Olivet Discourse. There is no precedent for how, you know, everyone else, the futurists and the preterists are interpreting things, these things. There, there's no precedent for that. And so let's go and look at some other examples of things that have been fulfilled and let's see how did these things play out. And it's like, that's consistent. That's consistent. God is not the author of confusion. Man does that. Man and the devil. So with that, I hope this was a help to you. Thank you so much for watching both of these episodes. I'm, I know it's got to be tough for you water boys out there that are just hoping I'll echo you know, your favorite preacher or something like that. But you know what? You're just going to have to deal with it. Nobody's perfect, including this guy. But at the same time, um, good luck debunking this. So and it's easy to disagree. It's not always easy to debunk, and so hopefully, uh, again, if you have any real, real questions, send them to me, and we will cover them in two days. So thank you so much for watching this. God bless you.